Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the State of the Net podcast. I'm Paolo Valdemarin. And I'm Ewan Semple. And it's just one week since we recorded last episode. The blink and, of an uh, eye. Yeah, and uh, well, let's put it this way. It's not only you who stopped using social media in the last week. <laughs> Well, yes, as, uh, you know, just after we recorded the uh, events in the capital in the States kicked off and uh, boy, did that open, and well, it opened a lot of cans of worms and closed a whole load of others, didn't it really? Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, crazy. I mean, it's, um, I'm still on the fence on the whole, you know, social media's websites throwing out Trump in the sense that I'm happy that that happened. I'm not sure about, I'm happy about how it happened. In no, the sense and that, it's uh, be, no, and it's maybe worth just touch, touching on why we thought we'd, we'd deal with the topic and that, you know, both of us are, some might say relentlessly optimistic about the internet and technology and that it'll all turn out in the end. Well, maybe me, maybe me more than you, Paolo. But, um, you know, but I just thought it might be worth us talking about just how bad things are and how much worse they could get. And uh, there's no guarantees it's going to turn out right. And you're right. I mean, I think, you know, I've ranted on here a few times about the knee-jerk reaction that if anything bad happens on the internet, it's the responsibility of the ISPs or the or Facebook or Twitter. They have to sort it out rather than us dealing with it. But I also felt you can't have anybody, never mind the President of the United States, inciting violence in the middle of a democracy without feeling you should do something about it. You know, so it really touches on so many different elements of what's right, what's wrong, what you do about it, who does it. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't have any problem with the idea of, oh, you know, we must draw a line. Yeah, we can draw a line, and fascism is a pretty good place where you can draw that line. It's it's about the decision-making process. It's, it's mm -hmm. a fact that, uh, you know, ultimately, a bunch of guys in Silicon Valley said, okay, enough, and they cut him off. And... Uh, <sighs> You know, but the, why didn't the, they do it sooner? And why did they not explain better why they did it? Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because they're basically saying, yeah, well, the you know, violation of the norm. I mean, it just, I think that just, it, it was a very opportunistic thing. And say at this point, you know, two weeks to go was the point that just cut him off. Um, but uh, I, I, to say the least, it makes you think about uh, how much responsibility these company have and uh, yeah. and uh, you know I was uh, reading the numbers about the growth of uh, the QAnon conspiracy theorists yep. Yep. and I mean this thing exploded at uh, in the last four months of last year so yeah. it, it literally boomed and uh, one of the reasons it exploded is because uh, a number of uh, minor social media influencers uh, found out that if they're using, they were using those trigger hashtags, they would get a lot of followers oh. and a lot of engagement. Oh, dear. It's 
gone so horribly wrong, Paolo. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and that's his kind of thinking, oh, shit. I mean, it's, 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 uh, really? So we have, I mean, at this point, I do think that uh, this is all a conspiracy. I mean, this is Bill which, Gates trying to though? get... I think that this is Bill Gates trying to get rid of idiots. And it is working. <laughs> I thought that was Especially COVID because they will that. not get vaccinated and they will die. It's, it's, it's a perfect crime. Yes. <laughs> well, it'll all turn out all right in the end. Yeah, but it, it, that whole QAnon thing is fascinating. And I think we mentioned before, I knew somebody who suddenly started ranting about it on every platform available to him. And, and, you know, I started off thinking he was taking the piss. I thought it was, you know, some sort of digital performance art. And then you sort of thought, no, no, he means this. He thinks this is true. And he'd obviously got right sucked into that bottomless pit of QAnon. And, uh, but, it, I, but I also found myself thinking, well, if I was him, or if I was one of the many, many people who got sucked into that bottomless pit, how would I be feeling if somebody just without due process, as it were, pulled the plug? Uh, exactly. No, no. But uh, look, there is a there is a, an ISP in uh, Idaho, uh, uh, which the land of the free, the land of the free, and the guns. Uh, <laughs> they blocked uh, Facebook and Twitter because. Uh, uh, you know, because they violated the First Amendment. Um, it's 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 surreal. It's all gone horribly wobbly, hasn't it? That whole, and it's it's so sad. Sounds patronising, but it's distressing watching Americans desperately try to hold on to that idea of democracy and and fairness and the rule of law, and and it's all it's all just going horribly slippery. Well, at least they voted out. Trump, you still, well, did Brexit did happen. <laughs> well, this is, yeah, I know. Uh, it's, of course, it's way more complicated than, you know, what any of us can, can discuss here. But it's heartbreaking, especially thinking that, uh, you know, the, the crazy thing is that all these people that stormed the Capitol they think they're right. Yeah. Well, they, and, that, they and that's think where they are heroes. And that's how, you know, in a sense, we got into this problem by think, treating them as ideas. Um, and we've got to watch we don't make the problem worse by continuing to do so. And I, you know, I did a post about always look on the bright side and, and the fact that, it, as, as, as has happened before, these things can feel overwhelming that little me can do nothing to stop this, it's all running out of control. But actually, this only happened because of millions of little me's acting or not acting in certain ways. Um, and to have some idealistic or control-based mechanism trying to fight this back is just going to reinforce, you know, what you resist persists. Um, you know, the, and, and the, all we can do is act differently and talk to people we know about the perspective we hold and the hope that in the long run that ends up prevailing. Um, and if it doesn't, it's still all we can do, <laughs> you know, because if anything else is just going to involve conflict and, and increasing levels of force, which either, which will most likely we just push it underground. And, and I don't think it's really, really hard, isn't it? Because somebody, it's back to what you said, somebody has to draw a line. And if nobody had drawn a line with Hitler, we'd all have been in a very different world just now. 
It's tough. I just shot my own argument down there. That was. <laughs> no, it, it's tough, especially once you have this combination of uh, people and organizations and companies and agendas, all and technology, and technology all intersecting each other. Um, so you know, of course, the internet is not the disease. The internet is the cure. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for some kind of uh, tragic misuse of technology. Yeah. Well, or maybe very effective use of technology. Well, I was going to say, because which, one man's misuse is another man's effective use, you know. It isn't, isn't it, yet again, just amplifying and accelerating what was already there or... You know, I don't think it creates misunderstanding or dissent or disagreement. It just exposes it more brutally in some ways, which is, you know, <laughs> clinging to the idea that that has to be a good thing because we can then deal with it. I'm not sure, to be honest. I mean, I don't, I don't think that uh, many of these QAnon followers would have end up following some crazy theory if it wasn't for... Um, social media. Um, no, no, but I, well, no, but the crazy theory wouldn't have w w was there. That's what I'm saying. That's what I mean by amplifying it. Well, I guess that uh, yes, perhaps it was there, but uh, it would have died very quickly if there wasn't an environment Maybe. where yeah. we have. Uh, I mean, this is not just about creating an environment where communication can thrive. Here we have created environments where algorithmically we yes. make these things yes. explode. So yes. it's not we're, we're not just letting a thousand flower blooms. Here no. we're just we're pushing some true. specific type of behavior uh, which is rewarding if you try to create engagement, which is rewarding yeah. if you're trying to place ads in the stream of people. And this um, is why I pulled back from it, because I got wearied with, and I was making the best efforts to make sure I kept a good network of smart people and didn't stray into bits of the internet that were going to be too horrible. And But I still felt uh, pressured, beleaguered by by the angst engine that, that, it, that it can so easily turn into. And um, you know, It's funny talking about the influencers realising they could up the numbers in QAnon. Here's me going in a completely other direction where I find it very charming and nice that I can see a referrer on my referral list, follow the link and find a very smart, nice blogger. Um, mm. And it just got so nostalgic. I mean, that was all it was 20 years ago. You know? And it could still, could still be. Oh, it, it, it can, definitely. I mean, I, I look, I have rediscovered blogging in the last year and... Uh, even if I have, you know, tiny number of readers, I th that's that's the only place where I'm actually sharing anything. I mean, I, yeah, I wasn't engaged with, on on Facebook at all. I'm I'm on Facebook. I I keep checking Facebook all the time, but uh, I mean, I occasionally 
post a photo or a short video, but I never really write. I wasn't really creating anything until I started blogging again. And you know, yeah. now if I post something on my blog, I will share it on Facebook. But uh, I wouldn't create content. I mean, it has been a very, very long time since I last, you know, thought about something and said, "Okay, I want to share this on Facebook." And um, it, it's it's. So that's the sort of transition I went through. I went through that middle stage of writing up my blog and then sharing it to Facebook. And it's interesting having just stopped doing even that. Uh, not least because it means I can do things like put hyperlinks into my posts and I can choose which image goes with the post rather than having it happen randomly when it moves over to Facebook. And you suddenly begin to realise just how much they buggered up about the internet that that was what was keeping it keeping it healthy in some ways. Yeah, it's it's um, you know you needed to have a lo- a huge centralized organization to to create the kind of network that they created, mm-hmm. um, where you really you know they you lowered the threshold for entry and engagement and uh, you know it it made everything simple, but this also created this huge these huge entities which are outside any type of control i mean it's not just social media i mean i i, I was reading earlier today um about aws uh throwing parlor out of uh, of their servers they gave them yeah. 24 hours and they said you know just take your shit and and get out and you know i use aws for all my projects i mean yep. at this point that is the go to infrastructure and uh, you know the more you use the you know the more specific tools so you're not just uh, you know renting a, an empty server but you're actually using very specific mm-hmm. databases or services they become almost irreplaceable so the truth with Parler is that my guess is they're going to disappear because uh, mm-hmm. you can't replace AWS unless you have a lot of money, which I don't think they have because from what I've been reading, you know, yes, there is a Mercer family, but probably they won't fund them. Uh, so prob- so the only way out, they, they will probably sell the data about their users to the Russians, but that's it. Um, but that makes you think is, mm-hmm. you know, we mm-hmm. are, we so get the wrong side of that line. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's not just, you know, it, because it's not just the internet anymore. I mean, with the level yeah. of complexity that is necessary to create a, 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 an online service requires you to use that level. I mean, especially if you want to do it at at, uh, at uh, uh, the cost that you can get away with on AWS you you know you, you need to use one of those companies and uh, you are in their hands and yeah i mean they're it's hard to argue with their decision and i mm-hmm. i'm mm-hmm. not arguing and I, as i said i think that if we want to draw a line fascism is a pretty good line and i'm all with it um, but on the other hand, we're basically, this is not the open internet that 
you know we think about when we when 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 we say internet not anymore no and and you know i suppose the other side of that comfort with limiting fascism is the sort of cultural imperialism that comes out of the states that that people in other parts of the world get really worked up about and you can see why and it was fascinating watching you know people like the iranians jumping on the on the bandwagon and basically saying, what's America thinking, trying to teach us about democracy? Um, you know, and if you've got commercial interests that are very much based on American perspectives and values, and those perspectives and values are becoming challenged or finding it harder to retain their global credibility, um, and we don't, ha you know, sort of getting back to the idea of having an internet parliament isn't it or some internet court or global court that I can I can only see us ending up in that situation of having to have somewhere that accommodates the fact that the internet is global and affects everybody on the planet where we can resolve issues like this because they're going to keep coming up aren't they the thing is that, that it's I, I think that at this point we could probably say that the internet I mean, these companies are based in the United States, but they have sites which is not even American anymore. I mean, Facebook or Amazon. I mean, these are huge companies. Yeah, but their culture's uh, based in, you know, they're they're emanating from that part of the wherever the servers are. No, they are they, they are representing a certain type of of uh, of culture. Which is not even the American culture; is the American corporate culture. That's true. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Uh, so it's as in uh, fact that's what for QAnon are getting worked and you know Parley are getting worked up about, isn't it? That that bunch of liberal tech giants are telling them what they can and can't see. So at this point, you have you know these huge tech giants uh, basically setting the agenda of what can or cannot be talked about. <laughs> and they're all 15 years old. <laughs> on the planet. Yeah. And it's... Yeah. Uh, and it's um, yep. I think it's something that we should think about, and uh, I don't think it's something that's going to get solved anytime soon. Ladies and gentlemen, and this is the state of the net. <laughs> it could... So I, I was just sort of thinking how bad could it get and you know you were saying about the servers I've often commented that infrastructure like our food all the deliveries that we're so heavily reliant on with COVID all of that depends on servers the internet GPS you know if you pull the plug on GPS an awful lot of things stop happening um or even if it just crumbles and breaks, you know, even if it's not a malevolent change. It's almost like we're far enough down this path that to reverse would be difficult. You know, I was thinking this a bit on my local walk, which is through a, an old manor and its estate, which is an organic estate. And so watching the, the farmer planting certain crops, letting the sheep eat the crops and fertilising the field and then ploughing the field and then doing the rotation and whatever. And 
sort of remembering how difficult Britain found it during the last war to feed itself because we'd sort of given up the ability to do that because trade and moving foodstuffs around had become so easy. Um, you know, I think I think modern life is incredibly fragile in that respect. And what would it take for people to <laughs> maybe find out with Brexit? <laughs> it could be a trial run for Armageddon. I don't, I mean, I, you know, ultimately things have a tendency to sort themselves out. I mean, okay, we had Brexit and did you find food at the supermarket this morning? You probably did. I mean, yeah. I just heard that uh, apparently Fordham's is not delivering internationally at the moment, which <laughs> might oh. be the reason I'm going to come back. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, we're, let's. I mean, who cares about the fish? Talk about um, first world war problems, eh? Yeah, exactly. Two <laughs> uh, percent. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you know we're sorting things out and uh, and. And we are incredibly really resilient. Um, We're ending so up being I, optimistic again, Paolo. This was meant to be the gloom and doom episode. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, it's <laughs> gonna be it's gonna be horrible. It's gonna be terrible. I mean, I, I can't order my chocolate biscuits from Fortum and Mason. I mean, what's uh, the point of how life? How bad could it get? Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you your thoughts about. Uh, post I saw on Facebook, I don't remember who wrote it, um, but it was, they were quoting um, uh, somebody who did a lot of studying of Buddhism mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and they were talking about this modern woke culture mm -hmm. and were saying that uh, Buddhism is the contrary of that because uh, it teaches you to let go of the past. And, uh, you know, as far as the future, you think about it and then you try to, to create it, but you don't, you know, you don't focus too much on the, focus, on the future. While this dominant, again, probably mostly American-dominated culture tends to link, to basically to, to frame you based on your past and determine your future based on what mm. happened in the past. Mm -hmm. I thought that you would have liked that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I have this discussion with my older daughter, Molly, all the time about her concern that if you let the past go, then nobody is held accountable. And, but I said that the risk is that, well, the fact is that gets you into a very slippery world of good and bad, um, which takes us right back to America and who's who's a freedom fighter and who's a terrorist. Um, but equally, I try to separate blame from accountability in the sense that if you do things that cause harm then you could expect society protect, to protect itself from you and remove your freedom. That, that I have no problem with at all. But that's very different from blaming people for things because I'm more and more convinced that they didn't have a choice. They did what seemed sensible to them because of the incredibly complex web of things that had happened to them before. So 
Um, like I say, it doesn't mean you don't hold them accountable for their actions or that they shouldn't be thoughtful about the consequences of their actions. But that's very different from the sort of Christian moralistic idea of blame and, and, and retribution. And that's what worries me a bit about some of the woke stuff and the various groups who are, you know, again, Molly and I will talk a lot about um, gender issues mm-hmm. and the fact that so much of that is about redressing a previous imbalance that mm-hmm. needed needed redressed, <laughs> but then people got all uptight about it because they think it's a it's something that's being imposed on them. Um, so that sort of goes back to what I was saying about our ability to sort things. If we wade in with some ideological right answer that we start trying to force on other people, we'll just push that pendulum even harder so it swings for even longer, um, rather than acting and speaking in ways that allow people to see that other reactions to the world are possible. we got to all learn to let go. Yeah. And the funny thing is that what we're letting go of is made up anyway. <laughs> Seriously, literally made up. It's all, it's all just stories that we got hung up about and stuck with and screw our lives up and kill people about yeah exactly i mean if you if you think about all these um conspiracy theories and uh, and i think the whole ideology i mean we're seeing this in the far right at the moment but uh, i i think that there are going to be pretty brilliant examples of that happening on the far left or far anything actually yeah. i mean these are all stories very much based on people not letting go of things people getting all involved in their own little spiraling universe which yeah. is uh, freaking them out and a lot of that as a result of uh misinterpretation and over emphasis on Darwin and survival of the fittest. I'm reading a book at the moment about how much of his theory is struggling to stand up in the face of increasing numbers of modern scientific discoveries, but we're still polarized between either creationism or Darwinism and everybody who's on the side of Darwinism is terrified of anything that's not Darwinism. So we're sort of ignoring other causes that aren't a beardy guy in the sky but that but aren't random either um mm-hmm. but we've still got that legacy of right better higher fitter separate com- competition fear you know all of it a lot of it comes out i mean obviously these challenges existed millennia ago that's why buddhism emerged as a potential solution but we sort of added to that and it sort of fuels the whole and Rand, right-wing, libertarian stuff that's quite embedded in the in the tech community as well, um, which is why they shouldn't that, be the people we look to for the future of civilization. You know. No, but I I think that there is also this aspect uh, in that you can find in modern society. Uh, where, with Trump probably being one of the most brilliant example of, uh, you know, if you are a winner, you're you you must be right. Yeah. And uh, you know, so often 
you're a winner because you were lucky, because you were right to the, the, yeah, there yeah. at the right moment, uh, or because you have one talent uh, and you're good at using it. Well, and winning, winning is misconceived as being having more stuff and being more visible, neither of which means winning in my book. But there is also this aspect of, uh, you know, winners being right. Yeah. Uh, which is which is ridiculous, but uh, still, yeah. I mean, I find myself in a situation where you know you, you're dealing with somebody moderately successful, and you think, well, I don't understand them, but they must be right because they're <laughs> successful, right? And it's no, it's not true. No. But uh, <laughs> but yeah. uh, but I mean, yeah. I I see myself falling for that kind of logic every once in a while, and yeah. you know these companies uh, sometimes. You follow the same logic, saying, "Well, they're huge. They must, they must be doing something right." And saying, "Yeah, maybe they did at some point, but it doesn't really matter at this point." Well, it's um, the same with yeah. the, with the establishment here. You know, the whole thing about being an Eton scholar and talking with a certain accent and acting as if you are the party of power. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's looking shady and, and dodgy these days, isn't it? I mean, that again, that's a whole set of assumptions about who's higher up some slippery pole than anybody else and what that gives them and what rights they then have as a consequence. Um, and, there, and these sort of, as you say, the, the, these feelings are so... I don't think they're inevitable. I don't think they're inherent in us, but I think they've certainly been conditioned in us that somebody who succeeds must be, must be right in whatever field. But does that, but does that get you into the whole... So I, I struggle, Paolo, with the whole... Um, people get so worked up about relativism and postmodernism and blah, blah, blah. And the anti-expert movement. And So I'm, I'm sort of wary of everything. Well, my gut tells me that everything is up for grabs. And we create the world in our own heads. We decide for ourselves what's a problem and what's not. The more you defer to other people in that process, the dodgier the whole system gets. Now, you could turn that into being anti-expert, if you like, but I, I don't think it is. No, I don't think it is at all. But it can easily become so. It can easily become, I'm entitled, entitlement. It can become, I'm entitled to my view. Anybody who disagrees with my view is therefore wrong. And again, and again that, that's how you end up with fascism, you know. I, I don't like, I mean, I think that no one is entitled to nothing. But, uh, you know, I think that you can be responsible for your own views. And uh, at that point, if you're wise about it, you might actually realize that uh, every once in a while you need to find an expert yeah. or you need to learn yeah. from others. And I think that the more you're responsible about that, the more you're actually looking for experts without giving them the responsibility. And that's where so, a beginner's mind comes from as an idea as well, isn't it? Not, not getting hung up on your perspective, but acknowledging that you don't know everything. And of course, that, again, the truism, that the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Exactly. And I think that that is, uh, that is the whole point. On the other hand, it has been proven with some very interesting studies that uh, the less you know, the more convinced you are that uh, you are knowledgeable. 
so the less you know ah, about but who things, funded the studies, Paolo? <laughs> the more you're, the more you're sure you are competent. But I'm sure that that is true. So at this yeah. point, I'm wondering: Am I actually competent, or am I so stupid I think I'm competent? That's that's hard. But I think that by asking this to myself, I'm kind yes. of on the same that's the of, on the safe side of this discussion. That's that's the difference. But it surfaces in other ways. So I think I've said on the podcast before, but I've worried about how undistressed I am about my mum's death last year. Mm -hmm. And is there something wrong with me? Am I just too stupid to realise that she's dead? Am I just sort of stumbling along thinking it's just been a long time since the last phone call? <laughs> um, so you do... And I, th I think it is similar. I think you end up with a view that's not what others expect or what's normal. And then you're on your uppers thinking, well, is it is it true? Am I mad? Am I missing something? <laughs> and that, and I think that is a general feeling, isn't it? And it's that that's what's hard about meditation, frankly, because you're left on your own in that in that question. I think that even before getting anywhere close to enlightenment, meditation practice helps you realize, helps you live in the moment. Um, and I think that this he, this is a, probably the difference between, um, you know, before and after. And I, I mean, from the little I understand... Of of your citation uh, on the story of your mom is that uh, y you were very in the moment while it was happening, mm -hmm. so you don't need to cling back to a past or to imagining a different thing. You 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 were able to process it in a much more effective way. That's interesting, Paul. Um, I mean, thanks for saying that. That's how I've sort of rationalised it. That, and that's the aim of all this, isn't it? To be with whatever's happening, good or bad, or you know, pleasant or unpleasant, rather than running away from it or trying to stop it. And by processing it that way, it, it's allowed to pass through rather than holding on to it. Um, but it also, it, 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 I, I think it's also simply a much healthier way of life. I mean, I'm realising that... Um, well, I still get mad plenty of time, and <laughs> and I have my high blood pressure to prove it. I also realize that I'm doing much more of, you know, enjoying the moment. Or you know, we mm -hmm. were talking last week about you know when you go for a walk, uh, and you know enjoying the walk, or you look out of the window, or I'm I, I just petting my cat. And yeah. I'm just thinking, okay, I'm here, I'm doing this. And I'm very conscious of the fact that this is happening now and, uh, you know, it, it it won't happen forever and uh, things will change. So yeah. I might, I might as, as well enjoy it while it's happening, even the small things. Yeah. And I do think that in perspective, this will help you be better. I mean, recently... 
I was ill for a few days and was like in bed for a few days. And I actually kind of enjoyed the experience. <laughs> I was just observing yeah. how how I didn't eat for four days. And I was looking at that and noticing and said, oh, look at this. It's all strange. I'm not eating. And, said, mm -hmm. and I was uh, and I came out of it saying, you know, OK, pretty much my holiday was fucked up by the fact that I was ill. But I wasn't mad about it. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. So that's, that has been interesting. So it, it, it's funny when I go for a walk with one of the other members of my family and, you know, they're obviously affected by lockdown and to various degrees finding it hard and will sort of, for much of the walk, be going, oh, this is hard and that's hard. And I'll just be going, yeah, but look at the, look at the sky. <laughs> Listen to them. None of that, none of what you're stressing yourself about is here now. Yeah. You know, it's not happening now. It might not even happen in the future. Now, we're walking along this path, and it's beautiful. And it might not be here tomorrow, so let's enjoy it, you know. But, but you know, I just say, I am not great at this. One of our neighbours has moved in, and he's basically turning his private property into a business, and he's a builder, so there's a lot of noise. Not a lot. There's more noise than we're used to. And there's vans being parked and all this stuff. But the other day there, a, a, a motor started up, and and it's really interesting just how, first of all, I thought, oh, I wonder if one of the neighbours is using a chainsaw, mm -hmm. which was okay, if it was one of the neighbours to the left. And then I thought, no, it's not them who's doing it. And I then thought, well, is he maybe doing... So So my my first assumption was he was using it to cut up concrete slabs as part of his business. And I started to get really worked up and I was thinking who I was going to complain to. And then today it became apparent that he's doing it down at the bottom of his garden and I noticed that his wife and his son were with him. When he, so I thought, oh, maybe he's building a patio, in which case that's okay. <laughs> and it's really funny how I'm going through all these rules in my head about whether I'm going to get bent out of shape about what is effectively the same noise, you know? Yeah. It's okay if it's a neighbour. It's okay if he's building a patio. If he's doing some work, then I'm going to get really, really upset about it. <laughs> and it was the same noise. It was the same noise. Which I could just just chosen to ignore. And with this little piece of wisdom, local, local life in Buckinghamshire. <laughs> thank you very much for listening. See you next time. <laughs>